Prairie Feet Take You podcast. I am Kayla Bowker, professional triathlete, mom to two little boys, and coach at Where Your Feet Take You Triathlon and Mental Performance Coaching. We are here today for the second installment of the guest speakers on the Where Your Feet Take You podcast, and I'm super excited to bring to you a dear friend of mine, Paige Swenson. Paige is a triathlete since 2001. She's a labor law attorney living in Denver, Colorado. She's been a member of the Cupcake Cartel for about four years now, which is a triathlon group. She's a multi-time 70.3 finisher and Ironman 140.6 finisher. And more importantly, well, not more importantly, but most excitingly, she is recently a Kona qualifier. She'll be racing here at the Ironman World Championships in Kona, Hawaii this October, where she qualified at Coeur d'Alene. And this was a really special qualification uh, for I would say for both of us, I'm going to take a little bit piece of this because I got to work with Paige uh, in her route to Kona or her quest for Kona, so to speak, uh, uh, as on the side, kind of multiple performance side of things. And it was just really fun and really exciting to see Paige really change her mindset and change her thought process on who she was as an athlete and be able to kind of stand up for herself through kind of through that process and what ultimately led to her being able to take this Kona qualification. Uh, again, I'm very excited to chat with her today. I think you guys are going to love talking with her. She's just a really bright light within the triathlon world. She's always got a positive smile, and she's not afraid to share her story in all sides of things, which I think we all need to see a little bit more of out there. So welcome, Paige. Welcome to the Where If You Take You podcast. We're happy to have you. Thank you so much, Kayla. I'm really happy to be here. That was a very sweet introduction. Thank you. Oh, yes. Well, you're a sweet person, so you deserve it. Um, awesome. Well, before we, what we're kind of going to do is chat a little bit about you in triathlon, but mostly, well, not mostly, first I want to hear, how is Kona prep going? We've got about, what, three weeks to go here? Almost. Yeah. Almost? A little over? Yeah. Yeah. Um, in a word, exhausting. Yes. <laughs> Um, you caught me on a, in a particular exhausting day. Um, this past weekend I had my last six hour ride, um, on Saturday that went really well. Then I had another three hour ride yesterday followed by a one hour run. Um, felt super strong despite the exhaustion from the hundred mile ride. Um, you know, here in Colorado, I don't have much that's flat. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, when I, when I go out for a ride, it's always an adventure in the hills and or mountains, which is great. You know, it's great prep because we don't have the humidity, right? So I've got the altitude. I live at 6,000 feet. Um, and I just climb everywhere. So hopefully that will serve me well in Kona. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, my, my prep is going really well there, obviously, as you know, there's good days and bad days, but I've had a heck of a lot more good days than I've had bad days. So I will take that as a win. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. Um, with this kind of, you know, kind of Kona being a big goal of yours and stuff like that, did you guys do anything different for this build than maybe you've done for other builds? Maybe a little bit more intense. Um, I've known my coach for almost 20 years. Um, she's been my coach for almost 15. So she knows me probably better than I know myself at times. Sometimes and, it's a good thing. Right, exactly. Yeah, because she can whip my ass into shape when it is necessary. 
And it is necessary quite often. But yeah, so she asked me right after I qualified, she said, okay, what's the goal for Kona? And I said, well, number one, I want to have fun. You know, this is not about a time. This is about me enjoying every minute of every day that I am there, taking it all in because I don't know if I'm ever going to get back there. And not to say that I doubt my own abilities, but you know how special this is. And it's not something that I take for granted at at all. So I told her that, but I said, I, you know, I want to do well. I certainly don't want to finish in, you know, at the very end of my age group. I really would like to do the best I can do on that particular day. Uh, whether that means I finish in, you know, 13 hours or 15 hours, I don't care what the time is, but I want to be as prepared as possible. And she said, okay, <laughs> yeah. so here we are. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. And I I like how you set your goals on on that are kind of multi-layered, right? They are a little bit performance oriented in the stance that you want to do well. But as you said, you really want to experience it. And I think that's kind of a really important piece. Um, Before we kind of dive into like your thoughts on Kona, um, you qualified at Coeur d'Alene this past year. So back in June, June, um, end of June. Um, how was, how was that race for you? How'd that go? Oh Lord, that was a rough, rough day. Not because I was underprepared, but I think what made it so tough is that, you know, it's early season Ironman, right? Those are always hard, especially when you live in a climate like I live in. Uh, most of my training is done on the trainer up until, you know, mid April, if I'm lucky. And no heat. And we had, unfortunately, well, not unfortunately for the environment, unfortunately for me, we had a super rainy spring this year. Super cold, super rainy. So my opportunities to get outside, at least under the sunshine, were very limited. And I think that really hurt me on race day. And it wasn't just me. Um, It was, uh, I... I'm not exaggerating when I say I have never seen so many people walk and vomit on an Ironman run course. Um, And I think we all had heat stroke because it wasn't hot. I mean, the high was maybe 83, 84 that day, which crap, I'd race an Ironman in that any day, right? But I think a lot of us coming from the west side of the country just weren't used to being out in the sun for so long. Um, And my nutrition was where it needed to be. I was right on the money the first half of my bike leg, what you and I discussed. I mean, I was right there and then all hell broke loose in the second half of the bike leg and on the run. I've never, I've never been sick, physically sick in an Ironman or any race for that matter. I was on that run and my bike leg was the slowest bike leg I've ever had. And talk about this is okay. Here's, here's where you played a major role in the day. I, I was monitoring my bike splits, right? And I knew that Mm -hmm. second half of the bike was going to kill me time-wise. And I didn't know where I was in my age group, but, and cause I didn't, I didn't ask my husband. I didn't ask anyone. I didn't want to know. So I, I was making my way back to T2 and I'm looking at my watch and I'm going, okay, that was awful. My dream of Kona is gone. And I said, okay, Paige, you're allowed to be upset for about 10 seconds. Now you got to get into T2. You got to rack your bike. You got to get your run shit and you're going to get this done. No matter what that means, no matter what that looks like, your dream for now is done. But we got to focus on plan B, which is getting to that finish line. Because you know me, I'm not a quitter, right? They're going to take me off the course in an ambulance before I'm going to quit. So I credit you with my ability to make that switch in my head and say, okay, we got plan B, we can do this. And I did it. I got to the finish line. And and 
honestly, when I crossed the finish line, I still thought, okay, the Kona dream is gone. That's fine. It's okay. Maybe there'll be another day. This wasn't my day, but that's Iron Man number 12 in the books, and I can't be unhappy with that. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and, and I think that's an important piece and one of the like main reasons I really wanted to have you on this podcast is because – Right, we did a lot of that work, and I knew that that race. You went into that race with a lot of a lot of goals, a lot of dreams um, that you wanted to achieve, and the race went not the way that you planned or prepared or you know were ready for. Um, but you were able to stay in it, and I think I even messaged you after the race, and, and we talked about it a little bit. It was this idea of because you were able to change your mindset on the race, that's what ended up getting you that Kona qualification because you kept yourself in the day and didn't just say, oh, well, I didn't achieve the number one goal, so I'm done. There's no point. Um, that's exactly Talk about right. what that pivot for you really looked like. You kind of just briefly, you briefly started talking about it, how you was like, I gave myself a couple of seconds here, and then I, I focused on something else. But can you talk to me a little bit more about what that pivot looked like for you out there? And what were you, did you have anything that you specifically said to yourself? Um, focal points, you know, what, what kept you in it? What were you saying to yourself on that run? God, that's if a you good remember. question. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, like I said, so I, I, I got into T2, I wrapped the bike. I was, like I said, I was pissed for about a minute. And then I, I said, no, no. No, you can do this. It's it may not be pretty, but you can do this. You've trained for this. You know, if you have to walk half of it or whatever this looks like, just get it done. And so what I did, I was literally talking out loud to myself. People around me probably thought I was certifiable. Uh, but I, I, I literally was like having a come to Jesus meeting with myself and I knew all, if I just took it one mile at a time, even half a mile at a time, just get, you know, run as much as I could until my stomach wouldn't let me. Cause that's what was going on. My stomach was so upset and I have, I've never felt like that in an Ironman. I mean, you know, there's always times where you get that sloshy gut, you get to about mile 85 or 90 and your stomach is like, yeah, this is ridiculous. Like, yeah, can I yeah. please have some like real food? But I've never felt this like gross. So I just thought, okay, run as much as you can. Then when you, when you, when you start to cramp up in your tummy or whatever, you feel like you're going to hurl, just walk and just, but keep moving. That's what I kept telling myself. Keep moving forward, no matter what that looks like. Um, I happen to have an amazing teammate who called my best friend who was in T2 and I told her what was going on. So my teammate, by the time I got to the first aid station, had a massive thing of Coke for me, which was a huge lifesaver. Um, that settled my stomach. I burped. I felt better. I mean, it didn't cure it, but at least it, it, it gave me a little bit more uh, momentum, shall we say, to keep going forward. I couldn't keep Gatorade down, which is highly unusual for me. I need the Gatorade endurance because of my hyponatremia. I need the salt, but I couldn't keep it down. Um, surprisingly, I could keep water down, which is also unusual because it's worthless to my body because of my hyponatremia. So I just would suck on ice cubes, drink some water, Red Bull, Coke, oranges tasted fantastic. <laughs> so I, I yeah. Texas. That was for me. I literally went aid station to aid station, just be like, give me the oranges. I need all the oranges. I'm dying. I want oranges. 
Yeah, they taste it. It's so weird, right? So good. It is so good. Yeah, you know, when your stomach is upset, you don't think acid is going to do it, but it it did. I mean, they tasted really good. So I just went with it. I mean, it was literally mile by mile on the fly. What can I do? Um, and yeah, I just I just ticked off the miles and and. I, 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 that's about all I can say. I just did what I could do to get to the next mile. You just focused on almost, like you said, minute to minute, mile to mile, breaking it down into these small pieces that you felt like you could mentally manage. And I think that's, yeah. that's a powerful piece that sometimes we forget because Ironman or full distance racing is such a long day. And it's really easy to get caught up in this concept of, um, it, this idea of, oh, I, I, I still have to get to my, I've got 26 miles to go. I've got 50 miles to go. I've got 10. I can't do that. But when you break it down into those small pieces, it becomes, oh, I can, I can, I can run a mile. I, I can get to that next aid station. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I can get to the next one. And it sounds like right. that's kind of where you were really focusing. Yeah. And again, I learned that from you. I mean, I, that's exactly what I did. Um, I broke it down because you and I talked about breaking it down into um, like eight mile pieces before. And I, I couldn't do that. I physically, I wasn't able to do that. So, you know, again, I, I had to pivot and just do whatever I could do, which honestly really meant getting to the next aid station without passing out. <laughs> yes. Yeah. As, as crazy as that sounds, but you, like you just said, Iron Man is, is a day. I mean, and you never, it doesn't matter what you do in training. You never know what's going to happen to you on race day. You never know what you're going to feel like. You never know what mother nature is going to throw at you. And you, you've, you've got to be able to adjust on the fly because if you don't, you're, I mean, you're not going to finish. It's bottom line. Yeah. And have you, did you feel like this was one of the races where you felt like you were able to adjust a little bit better or is that something that's always been really natural because it is something that you have to do and I know you and I one of the reasons that I know that this was a good one for you to this because again you and I work together a lot when you made this decision to say hey I think I can chase a Kona qualification at Coeur d'Alene I need to really get my mindset right for it um and one of the things that you came to me with is I felt like you were always saying I really struggled to like be able to be confident enough to run the marathon yes and 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 then and being able to kind of adjust for that thought process of oh well i i have to walk i can't do this i have to walk um but i felt like your confidence in this one was a lot better um and even though you had this turmoil going on so to speak you were able to kind of pivot and stay confident do you you feel like that was definitely a piece that was kind of the key for this race for you definitely yeah Definitely. Um, and I, I think a lot of that goes back to the training and, and it's, that's one of the first things I said to my husband and my best friend after I crossed the finish line, I said, damn it. I said, I had the legs to run that race. Like Mm -hmm. I had planned, you know, I, I knew I could do it. My leg, when I did run, my legs felt great. Um, granted my bike leg was 20 minutes slower than it should have been, but that doesn't mean I didn't put in the effort on the bike. Right. And, and yeah, I, when I did run, my legs felt great and I just ran as much as I could before my stomach revolted. And just, I just kept, I just kept doing that. Um, because I, you know, like I said, it's, you never know what's going to happen on race day. And, and, uh, the, the Ironman journey is, in my opinion, more about the finish than it is about the time. I mean, of course, we all want to do well, right? We're all type A. We all want to, every time we go out there, we want to do our best. But I, I guess maybe age has helped me understand that that's not always possible at 51 years old, you know? 
And I thought, okay, I can do this. I know I can get to the finish line. Like I said earlier, it's not going to be pretty and it's not going to be my fastest time, but who the hell cares? You know, I'm going to get there. I'm going to get that medal and I'm going to be proud of myself for having the mental fortitude to be able to get there. And, and it's funny because my best friend's husband, about 10 minutes after I finished, I was literally laying on the ground in the VIP area. And he looked at me and he's an absolute stud, this guy. And he said, Paige, he said, the mental fortitude it took for you to finish that race. He said, I am in awe. And he just looked at me and just shook his head. That's so cool. And it's so, it, it's so true. I mean, I felt that way when I watched you do it. So, um, you just, you know, kind of in that space, you know, I love how you just talked about how powerful the journey is for full distance racing is kind of one of the reasons why a lot of us fall in love with it, right? It's easy to get really caught up in this idea of these finish lines and, and the times and the PRs and, and, and the Kona qualifications or the world championship qualifications. But at the end of the day, we learn the most about ourselves through the journey. And that's where, right. I think I've told you the, the, my, my metaphor is right. You can't eat, you can't have the cake without baking it, putting all the ingredients. And that's where you learn how the cake's actually going to be made and what, what it's going to taste like and all these pieces, right? There's, there's so much that goes into each layer of this cake that we're making. And triathlon is very similar. Exactly. Um, and you've been doing triathlon since, two, you know, about 2001 is kind of when you started. And what do you feel you've learned the most from it? Oh, Lord. <laughs> what a question. Um, that's a great question. Probably. Oh, uh, that is really hard. I, I don't know. Uh, Probably that I can do, that I, I am capable of more than I ever thought I could be capable of. Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean, I grew up as a swimmer. I've always been an athlete. That's not a question. But when I was a swimmer, I was a sprinter. 100 free, 50 free, 100 fly. Long distance shit, no. <laughs> <laughs> like literally, the first Ironman I completed, my coach that I grew up with sent me a message and said, wait, what? You yeah. swam 2.4 miles at once. <laughs> he thought that was absolutely hysterical. Um, so I guess that's really it that I could, I could, I could take my athletic self and turn it into something that I, that was completely different from what I had been growing up and was even better than I thought I could be, if that makes any mm -hmm. sense. <laughs> Totally does. Yeah. And, and I think that's showed also in your race, right? We're, we're really kind of at this time frame focused on this Coeur d'Alene race because it just happens to be, you know, the most recent one as well. Not necessarily the most recent one in general, because I know you just raced at Santa Cruz, but, um, you know, the most recent one that got you to kind of where we're focusing on this idea of your Kona qualification. And it, it, that is another race that showed you that you can do so much more than you even thought you could, that you can push yourself just to that next level a little bit. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's a great learning and, and it's a powerful one because you can use it in all aspects of your life. Um, let's rewind Definitely. the clock here just a minute. You know, you just talked about how you grew up a swimmer. Um, how, so talk to me a little bit about, you know, kind of what did you do, you know, growing up s swimming? Um, you know, what I know you use, I know you currently you ski in your off season. Um, how did you get into triathlon? Yeah. Let's rewind the clock a little bit. Okay. Um, yeah, so I grew up in Boca Raton, Florida, bo born and raised in Florida. I'm one of those rare native Floridians. <laughs> and I could that swim. Left, that I... left Florida. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, I mean, if it weren't for the freaking humidity, I probably wouldn't have. But yeah, 
that's a whole nother matter. But yeah, so grew up swimming. Um, I could swim before I could walk. My my mom and my grandmother were both swimmers. And, you know, there's a pool or water everywhere in Florida. So it's it's like a different mindset down there. You know, everyone, you've got to learn to swim because you don't want to drown. You don't want to fall in someone's pool and, you know, the whole nine yards. So, yeah, they threw me in a pool, taught me how to swim. I started competitive swimming uh, a little bit before my eighth birthday. Um, and, yeah, fell in love with it. Um, it just became uh, a part of my life. I mean, it's, it was, you know, I don't want to say it was who I am or who I was, but you know how hard swimmers work. Um, you know, it's, I, I would put it up against any other sport as the hardest working athletes out there. Uh, you know, I, I would train five and six hours a day to swim for 24 seconds. I mean, That's put crazy. that into perspective, right? That's right? insane. And I ended up, all that work, I ended up destroying my left shoulder, um, which I later in 2010 had complete reconstructive surgery to finally fix all the damage that I did as a kid. But I'll tell you this, I would do it all over again. Swimming made me who I am. It taught me dedication. It taught me, um, eh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, perseverance. It, it really taught me, it taught me balance. It taught me how to balance school and swimming and everything else. You know, also taught me a lot about life. You know, there's failures. You know, for every, you know, 10 great swims, I had two or three. And yeah, that sucked. But it, it, it all, like I said, it made me who I am. It made me understand that, you know, life isn't all rainbows and unicorns, right? And I had always, I'll back up even further. When I was eight, it was the first time I saw the Ironman World Championships on TV. And... I turned to my parents and I was like, you know what? I want to do that one day. And they both looked at me and said, yeah, you're crazy. <laughs> Here is we that are. Where, is that where this whole I want to go to Kona thing really originated? Yes. Do you think? Even way back yes. then? Love it. Yes. Yeah. Because to me, that was the pinnacle of, I was in awe. It, it was the pinnacle it of, of athletic achievement for someone like mm-hmm. me being a swimmer, you know, because it encompassed my passion, my love. Mm -hmm. And it, it was, like I said, I was just in awe. I was just absolutely mesmerized by it and thought, oh my God, that would just be the most amazing thing to be able to say that I accomplished, you know, being Mm -hmm. an Ironman world championship finisher. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where it started. And that kind of, so that stuck with you. So when you got into triathlon, kind of in that 2001, Series, did you jump right into long course triathlon and with this idea of, hey, someday I want to go to Kona or was it a gradual, hey, I'll do a sprint, an Olympic, and then maybe I'll get there? No, it was gradual. Definitely. Mm -hmm. The latter. Mm -hmm. Um, I started with sprints and Olympic distances. I did those for three and a half, four years. Um, Mm -hmm. My first full Ironman was Ironman Wisconsin, September 2005, which I promptly CNF'd. I got to mile 56 on the bike and my entire body seized and cramped up. And I literally, I was able to unclip one foot before I fell over into uh, a swale, this, this beautiful piece of property. And it just so happened to be owned by a doctor. (laughs) Oh (laughs) yeah. Who came running over to me and he's like, Oh my God, are you okay? And I was literally just shaking because everything was cramping. I could barely talk. So he, he's like, can I touch you? For those of you that don't know, if someone on the outside touches you during an Ironman, you're disqualified. And I said, dude, do whatever the hell you need to do, because clearly (laughs) I'm not okay. (laughs) No, exactly. I am not okay. So he like massaged my muscles and 
you know, kind of got the cramping calmed down. He called the ambulance. Um, ambulance came, got me, brought me back to the medical tent. And sort of a, a, a side story, two half Ironmans before that in Florida, I had learned, now I'd finished, I didn't DNF, but I ended up in the medical tent because I was severely, severely cramping. And that's where I learned that I suffer from hyponatremia. And I thought I had that issue handled before I did Wisconsin. Well, lo and behold, um, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, and again, for those of you that are unfamiliar, hyponatremia is the imbalance of salt and water in your blood. When that imbalance goes more water than salt, your body literally shuts down. And mm-hmm. it can kill you instantly if you don't know what you're dealing with. Um, so thank God I knew what I was dealing with. So when I got to the medical tent in Wisconsin, I told the nurses what was going on. And so they gave me the proper, you know, fluids, banana bag, as we like to call them and the sodium that I needed. And after that, I got tested by a doctor at the medical college of Georgia. We lived in Atlanta at the time. And he determined that I lose Almost 1,900 milligrams of sodium an wow. hour. Yeah, which wow, is Wow, that's insane. more. That's impressive. <laughs> so I literally sweat pure salt. So yeah. he gave me a protocol to use. Um, and from that point forward, I have not DNF'd a race. I have not cramped like that again. Um, but it requires a lot of work, right? It, it requires... Mm-hmm. I have custom drink mix from Infinite, as you do, um, yep. which works like a charm. And I have to add additional salt with it, but I can only add 800 milligrams total because of my size. Yeah, I can't take any more than that or other issues will occur. So before super hot races and definitely before Kona, I'm going to have to start probably next week. I have to sodium load because I start behind the eight ball, right? So I need to get in at least 1500 milligrams of sodium extra per day to start to build my, my stores and build my body. Um, to get used to what is going to be a very sweaty, humid adventure in Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah. So that preloading becomes really important for you. Um, very. With it being a really sweaty adventure in Hawaii, because it is humid, you, you, I know for me, I, I'm someone who, do, while I don't lose a lot of sodium, I do, like, my sweat is like pure salt. Um, it's like a weird, like, so I have to take in a decent amount. But I found that whenever I race in Kona, I almost have to double what I normally take, um, like with extra salt tabs and stuff. And I remember last year, I, I think I was at like mile 80 of the bike. So right as you come back onto the queen K, um, and I started cramping and I ate an entire packet of salt stick, salt chews, an entire (laughs) packet. (laughs) I was just shoveling them in because I was like, my, everything was cramping. I had a headache, nothing felt good. And I literally was craving it. I think I probably ate, I don't know how much is in those, but easily probably 2,500 milligrams of salt in like one go. Nice. <laughs> well, did it work? It worked. It worked like a charm. I felt so much better. Okay. Um, so I'm going to get some of those chews and I'm going to have them in my, on my bike. And I'm going to think of you if I start cramping and I'm going to inhale them <laughs> yep. Um, but with that, like what, what is kind of your protocol for it? So you have the preloading that you're going to do, but are you going to be doing anything else different for race day to help kind of manage some of these pieces? Probably not. Cause I don't want to, uh, well, let me back up. I recently switched to infinite's high carb mix that they came out oh, with. I, the love high their, I love that stuff. Yeah. I went to the, um, 90 
gram. My yep. carbohydrates mm-hmm. prior to that were, in my standard mix, I believe were like 58, 59. Mm-hmm. And I've been using that for about a month and I love it. Um, yes, I last this last six hour ride I just did. That's so I built into it, right? I started out with mm-hmm. like one bit and then two bits and then three bits like per hour. And this last ride, I did the whole ride using that stuff because I wanted, and it wasn't hot outside, which sort of sucked, but I wanted to see how my stomach handled it mainly mm-hmm. for six straight hours. Um, and it was yeah. fine. And I think I actually had more energy and felt stronger longer. So that is going to be one change I make. I'm, I'll switch out my normal custom infinite for that. It has a slightly lower sodium content than my custom infinite. So I'm going to have to overcome that with some additional salt, which is fine. I mean, I, you know, I know my body can handle it. It's not a big deal, but yeah, I really like that stuff. And I think, I think it's going to really help me. Um, at least for the longevity of it, you know, and, and to give me more strength than I normally would have because with that hyponitremia, my body does not do well in humidity. So I have to be super, super cognizant of how I'm feeling at all times. And that that's going to be my biggest mental piece for the bike is constantly evaluating, like you tell me, how can I be the best page at this moment? And that best page is going to be Nutrition, 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 salt, salt, salt. I mean, I'm, I'm going to stay hyper vigilant about it. And again, yeah. I don't care if it adds, if I have to stop in an aid station and dump water on myself or add water to my front thing, I don't care. I don't care about the time. What I care about is crossing that finish line. I mean, that yeah. is like whatever I have to do to get there. That's what's going to get done. Yeah, I think that's, you know, I think that's an important piece. So you kind of mentioned briefly in that last statement, how that one of the biggest mental hurdles that you feel is, is this nutrition piece. Um, are there other pieces about this race that, you know, may make you a little bit nervous that you know you're working through a little bit? Well, let's be honest. The whole concept of the race <laughs> makes me nervous. Why, why is that? Why does I mean, it make you nervous? It's, it's the Ironman World Championships for God's sakes. I mean, it's yeah. it's what I've been dealing. It's what I've been dreaming of since I was eight, and I I I'm allowing myself the opportunity now to still be in awe of that. But the minute I land in Kona, that's gone because I can't, I need, I need to focus and I know I can do it. I don't need to be afraid of this race. Yes. I need to respect the hell out of it and I will, but I don't need to be afraid of it or in awe of it. And so again, for me, that's going to mean, okay, take, taking everything in and enjoying it, but remembering it's 140.6. I've done this Mm -hmm. 12 times. I know how to do it. I just have like I said earlier, I have to be hyper vigilant because of my particular situation. And I know if I am, then the, the finish line will, will be there for me. It's kind of, you know, staying dedicated to the dream and staying dedicated to the goal while focusing on all the aspects that accompany accompany it, right? Yes. We always talk about this idea of creating these multi-layered goals that all make up the one big goal, which is to cross that finish line. And, you know, if you can focus there and create those action items that you need to do, then you're going to get, you know, to where you need to go. And at the end of the day, that's crossing the finish line. Yeah. It's that run down Ali'i drive. That's what I want. It's a special one. It's a really special one. It's a really powerful one. I... I always think there's like a piece where you can kind of, I was 
I remember last year, I just kept telling myself, you just got to get to that, that final right-hand turn. You just got to get to that final right-hand turn, and then it's all down. And then it's there. It's not all downhill, right. but it's, then it's there. It's final right-hand turn. Then you're on a leaky drive, and you know you're going to make it to that finish line. And um, and so that's kind of always a you know a piece that I always focused on. So you mentioned, you say in here that, you know, this is kind of a goal in reality that you've had since you were eight. And obviously there's been a lot of other life pieces in that space. But how did you stay kind of dedicated to that goal? Because, right, you know, we're talking it took you 12 Ironmans to accomplish it. That's a long time. Yes, and it, it is. It, with, with failure, right? You had a DNF in there. You, you've had bad races. You've, you've had races that you felt like you did underperformed. Um, what kept you so dedicated and disciplined towards chasing that goal? I don't quit. I, I don't know how to quit. It's not in my DNA. That's the best way I can describe it. I don't know where that dedication and drive comes from other than to say, like I said earlier, it was built during my swimming years because I destroyed my shoulder when I was 13, 14, but I kept swimming. I made adjustments. I worked with my orthopedic surgeons, you know, who I will add wanted to do surgery on my shoulder. And they told my mom, well, there's a 60, 40 chance she'll never lift her arm above her head again. And my mom was like, yeah, screw that. No plan B. (laughs) Yeah. So, and and I got plan B, you know, I could only swim a very limited number of yards. I could still work in the weight room to build all of the tiny muscles around that shoulder to keep it in place because it would sublex all the time. Um, I was that person who was hitting my shoulder against the wall to get it back into place. So I I guess that's where it came from because I wanted the goal of being a high school and college All-American. And I accomplished those goals even with a completely destroyed shoulder. So... I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if it was something that's just born in me. And, and because of my experience with swimming, it just, like I said earlier, became a part of part me, of became who I am. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, every time whenever you had these failures, it was, I'm going to learn from it to be better for the next one versus this means I can't get to that goal. Did you feel like yes. that's kind of where you focused? Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And that's, you know, you know, I had the the massive hip surgery back in 2020, Mm -hmm. um, which was the perfect chance for it, right? Because COVID, we weren't racing. So what better time to have your hip opened up and fixed? Mm-hmm. And that's one reason why I, w- I got with you before Ironman Canada in 2022, because I knew I could be better than I was before, even with a hip that isn't, you know, my right hip is not as strong as my left hip. Um, but but I knew after talking to my surgeon that that wasn't the end of the world. You know, it's just it's just something I have to deal with. Right. And, and overcome. But I needed I needed that that mental reminder, so to speak. Physically, I knew I could do it, but I needed to know how to deal with it mentally and, and how to better break down an Ironman mentally, um, all that stuff you and I went through. And I, I guess that after that surgery and talking to you and working with you, that's that's what reassured me, for lack of a better word that I could meet this goal. You know, I did Ironman Maryland exactly a year after my hip surgery, which blew everyone away. It didn't, I mean, I knew I could do it. My fastest bike split ever a year after hip surgery. <laughs> yeah. um, and you, know, But I got clearance from my surgeon. I said, hey, if you tell me not to do this, I won't do it. 
And he's like, no, no, go for it. He's like, it may not be pretty, but you can do it. You're not going to hurt yourself. So, yeah, I mean, that's 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 just who I am, like I said. <laughs> yeah. And so I want to go back to this Ironman Canada just a little bit here because I think that was a really pivotal time frame for you. And, I, and I'm not just saying that because I helped you work, work through it. Um, <laughs> but I just no, remember you deserve, seeing... you deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Um, I, I just remember seeing so much change with you during that time frame because you did you came to me with not a lot of confidence it, it was like this weird it was a space where you you were wanting to bet on yourself you were wanting to say I can do this but you couldn't quite bring yourself to have the confidence to stand up and say yeah I can complete this run the way that I believe that I, I know that I can I can I can be the Kona qualifier I, I can do these things so walk us through kind of a little bit about what that change looked like for you, because it, it's something that a lot of athletes struggle with is this confidence in themselves to to actually chase the dream or to chase the thing that they be, actually that, you know, they believe that they can accomplish. Right. But, you know, just can't seem to quite get there. Well, um, yeah, like like I knew. After I had that great bike leg in Maryland, um, granted, flat course, right? But as you know, flat courses in an Ironman don't necessarily mean easy because generally when you have a flat course, that also means you have wind somewhere. And you and have to stay in arrow for an incredibly for long time, which is amount of time. very and hard. <laughs> you're always pedaling, right? You don't have the break of the downhill. So <laughs> there is no such thing as a flat, easy Ironman. Let me just put that out there for everyone no. who thinks there is. And when I when I was able to do that, when I the longest ride I had before that race was 75 miles. And when I got off the bike and looked at my watch, I was like, oh, holy shit. Like, I can't believe I just did that. And that is what started the confidence back after the hip surgery. And it's not to say that I didn't think I could do it. I just didn't know what my hip was going to do, especially on the run. And especially after the 7,500 feet of climbing that Ironman Canada throws at you on the bike. So that's the that's why I, I came to you because I've never been a strong runner. It's always been my weakness. And I, I knew I needed to flip that switch in my head and not constantly tell myself that I was a a runner. Um, Because I think that's one of the first things I told you that that was my limiting mindset all along was I am a shitty runner. And the more I told myself that the more it was true. Right. So, and, and the other, the other, along with that, the other problem to use air quotes I had is when I'm on the bike and you know, like I said, you get to mile 85 or 90 and you're like, oh my God, get me the hell off this bike. Like, I just want to be done with this. And it, it's at that point in time that my head would go, oh shit, now I got to run a marathon. Like, I'm a shitty runner. I can't run a solid marathon after this. And I knew that had to change. If I, A, I was going to have a good race in, in Canada, which I knew I could, and B, if I was ever going to get that Kona slot, that had to change. And... So uh, yeah, that's why I reached out to you. Um, a because I trust you. You're you're an incredibly good friend, and I I knew that you would have the tools to help me flip that switch. And that's exactly what happened. Um, I was on the bike leg in Canada, climbing all those damn hills, cussing, but but I would stop myself and say, no, no, concentrate. Be the best page you can be right now. What does that mean? That means getting to the top of this hill, strong but in control, keeping your heart rate where it needs to be, keeping your power where it needs to be, 
Um, and, and okay, great. Got to the top of the hill. Let's bomb down the hill. Okay, here comes the next one. Be the best page you can be. And focus. And there was times on that bike course where out loud I would say to myself, okay, focus. If my head would start going to the run, no, no. I'd say, Paige, focus. You're on the bike. We're focusing only on the bike. Pedal, pedal. What's the next goal? And I would I would make myself turn that mental page and say, okay, where am I on this course? What do I have to do? You know, what's going on? Talk to other athletes. Like, like you got to the point where we were, I think, at like mile 90, and there was this gnarly hill, and all of us were literally laughing because it had been so ridiculous up until that point that we were all like, okay, this is just dumb. Like, can we please be done with the climbing? And that helps, you know. Yeah. That, that, that helps you stay in the moment, but realize that it's not just you suffering. Everyone is out there suffering. We're just suffering in in different ways. So when I got off the bike, I had a great bike leg. um, And I knew that I could have a great run. And the first, what was it? The first like two and a half miles of that run, maybe three were, well, the first full mile was straight uphill. I mean, this just ridiculous hill that brought us to a really nice um, trail, that that we ran, which was a gradual uphill, so it wasn't terrible. But that first mile was awful. And I said to myself, you know what? It's the first mile. Just get yourself together. Just walk it. Just walk up that mile, get to the trail, and then start your running. Because there's no need to blow yourself up on this first mile. There's no need to get negative. And that's exactly what I did. I walked up that road, um, got to the trail, started running, and felt I had good legs and just ran to an aid station or maybe ran six or seven minutes, then maybe walked 30 seconds. And I just, I basically did that for the entire race. I just stayed in the moment, um, focusing on just feeling good, getting to the aid stations. Um, I had done a lot of hill work before then, a lot of hill repeats. And the main part of that course, it's an out and back through the town of Penticton, and when you go out, you're going downhill, which feels wonderful. But then you got to turn around and come back uphill. And you got to do that twice. And the uphill to me didn't feel like an uphill. It felt almost like a flat because of all the hill repeats I had done. And I just, yeah, I mean, I just kept cruising. My watch died at like mile 18. And of course, everything is kilometers, right? So here I am clueless. I have no idea where I'm on the course. I had to ask a dude who had a, a tri-kit or a, yeah, a tri-club kit from somewhere in Canada and I was like, okay, don't laugh at me. I'm from Denver. Where the hell am I? Like, And so he told me. And I was like, okay, great. So I just kept motoring along. No watch, no nothing. From mile 18 to 26, I was just basically running by feel. And not to say that I was a slave to the watch, because that's, again, something you've taught me not to be. But it at least gave me a gauge, right? Especially with everything in kilometers. So... Yeah, I just, I mean, I, again, I stayed in the moment. I I ran when I could. I took little walk breaks. I kept running. I talked to athletes. I just stayed positive. Now we had perfect weather, which as you know, makes a huge, huge difference. I think the high that day was 74. So that makes it a lot easier as compared to when it's 94 on a run course. Yeah. But, but yeah. Oh, and they didn't have Gatorade endurance. They had Canada because apparently Gatorade endurance is not allowed in Canada. Um, so they had all these other flavors of Gatorade, right. That I had never tried. So I sort of made it a game every aid station. I was like, Hey, what flavor Gatorade do you have here? And so I tried it. And I mean, that's what made it fun, you know, and 
the typical, you know, people laugh at me, but I get through, I can't, I don't really eat on the marathon. I mean, I'll occasionally maybe have a gel or like the oranges we talked about before, but I don't really eat on a marathon of an Ironman. I, I'm basically fueled by Gatorade, Red Bull, and Coke, which to to the to the to the mere mortal is absolutely disgusting and abhorrent um but it works right you got the yeah. sugar you got the carbs you got the uh, sodium you got the the carbonation to make you burp and yeah so i got to that last finisher shoot and i'm looking at the clock and i'm like i'm literally shaking my head going that's not right like i i couldn't believe it now granted it was 20 minutes off but i knew that but still the time i was like no way no freaking way did I just do that. And I crossed the finish line, you know, got the medal and, and my husband was right there. And, and I, it took him 10 minutes to convince me that that clock was in fact accurate and that, that I had a race like I knew I could have, like I did yeah. it. That's amazing. That's such a fun story. And I love how you really, the key, what I'm hearing again, hearing from you in, in that story is how staying, and this was something that I know you and I worked on because it was a piece that you really struggled with was this, this concept of staying really present. Yes. And how important that was for you from a mindset standpoint. You know, a lot of times when I, when I, we, I talk with athletes or anything, they, they want, we want all these tricks and these tools to be, to be mentally tough, but mentally tough is such a wide range of, of concepts. And when you can stay really present within yourself and, and what you're doing in that moment and focus on the actions that you have to do in order to, like you said, be the best page that you could be, that's being mentally tough. And that was a big piece for you. And that's, you know, again, that's, that was the piece that really we're seeing as a theme that you did at, at Canada and again at Coeur d'Alene um, was focused Huge. on being so present with yourself. And, and it's and it's taken over my training. I mean, ever since I worked with you before Canada, that's exactly what I think about when I'm training. Um, you know, especially during these long rides, sometimes my head will go other places or it'll start to think about race day and, oh, my God, what am I going to do on the run? And I, I literally stop myself and out loud, like, no, no, you are focusing on the bike. We are doing this right now. We are not thinking about anything else. Um, and yeah, my, my run workouts, you know, you know, I used to dread them, right? I used to say, oh, I can't do this. I can't do this. And I would go into a workout already self-defeated. Not anymore. I go into my run workouts thinking, okay, you know, how, how good can I do this today? Like, what can I do to make this a strong workout? Um, and, and I stay focused in the workout. And, and even if I'm in the middle of a hard interval, and I get to the end and, and I have to take a minute and a half break instead of a minute. I'm okay. I'm like, okay, that's fine. Do whatever you need to do. Start the next interval. Be be whatever you can be for that next interval and keep it going. Um, and only, you know, I, I break down those run workouts into, into little pieces. And, you know, I only focus on what am I doing right now. Um, and it, it it works. I mean, it it's, it's amazing how the brain... How do I put this? Like, like calms down. I know that may not be the right phrase, but that's, that's correct. You know, how, how you can, you can get a completely different mindset when you break something down like that. And, you know, like you don't think of it as, as six, eight hundreds, right? You think of it as, okay, I got one 800 and then I have a little recovery. Okay. Check. Okay. Another 800. Okay check. Um, and before you know it, you're done with your six or your eight or your 10 or whatever it may be. 
Um, and, and you're not, you're not stressing out during the whole workout or, or wondering, oh shit, can I do this? Or, and if you blow up, who cares? Like, that's another thing you taught me. You know, if you've got eight, eight hundreds and you get to six and you're just trashed, it's okay. Cause you did six, yeah. you know, maybe next time you go do eight, but you know, maybe you take, or maybe you take seven. I've done this. I've taken maybe number seven easier. And then put everything I have into the last one, you know, and even if I blow up at 500 meters or 600 meters, you know, I I did what I could and it's okay. I think that's so important too. And that really also comes back down to the same concept, staying present and listening to who you are in that moment. Um, And it allows you then to make those adjustments and make those adaptations that you need to make. Um, Awesome. All right. Well, we are kind of coming up on our hour here. I don't want to keep you for too long because I know you've got... Kona to focus on. Um, but with that, um, what are you most excited about for Kona World Championships? That run down Ali'i Drive. Yeah. Can you see it in your head already yeah. without even having been there? Yes. Because I've watched it on TV so much and I've followed you and I've followed, you know, hundreds of my friends. And yeah, I, I mean, definitely. Um, and yeah. it, it's, it's funny because it was... It was something I briefly thought about during Coeur d'Alene, but then I was like, mm-hmm. no, 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 you got to focus on what you're doing right now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that, and obviously I'm excited to, to be a part of all of the, you know, the celebratory stuff that goes on, all the breakfasts and the dinners and, you know, the welcome banquet. And I mean, all of that stuff is super, super cool. Um, yep. You know, and I experienced a little bit of that when I raised 70.3 Worlds in Nice back in 2019. Um, but obviously this is a much grander scale. Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah, but, but that, that run, that final run down a Lee drive is, that's it. That's all of it. Perfect. Use that, use that as fuel throughout the entire race. Whenever you start to get negative, whenever you start to get unfocused, just like, nope. Okay. What do I got to do? Cause I want to get to this. I want to feel that feel. I want to see that. I want to experience it. Um, you know, you can, you can use that. Use it when you make the final the final right-hand turn out of the energy lab, back onto the Queen K. All right, I've got eight miles. I just got to get eight down eight miles. A lot of it's downhill. So just get myself, and then I'll be on a leaky drive, and I can soak it all in, feel all the energy, and I, you know, I'll be home free and get to experience it. So you can use that moving forward. Um, okay, advice. last Last question here before I sign off with you is, you know, we talked a lot about kind of this mindset side of things, but, you know, from your, you know, journey as a triathlete and a swimmer, um, what would be your number one advice to a new triathlete coming into the world? What would you recommend? What would you, what would you tell them? Don't start with long distance. I can't tell you how many times I have seen someone start with a 70.3 or a full and either they never go any farther or they end up injured and then they get discouraged and then they quit. I'm I'm not saying you can't do it, Mm -hmm. but it's in my experience, it's not smart. It's, it's a complete long distance triathlon is a completely different animal and and not just for obvious reasons, right? Aerobic versus anaerobic, but Mm -hmm. It requires so much more training, physical training, mental training. Um, and, and, and a 70.3 is not a joke. You know, I mean, I I know, I, I put this out there on social media, 70.3s for the past two years for me have been training days. And people look at that and go, Jesus Christ, like <laughs> 70.3 is a training day. Well, yeah, because of what I do. But that doesn't mean 
I don't respect the distance. That doesn't mean I think it's easy. It's just for me, it's a different uh, path, right? It's it's a different it's it's a way for me to get to my other goal. Um, but again, doesn't mean it's easy, and it it still is a is a crap load of work. And uh, triathlon is it, it's it's hard, <laughs> it's expensive. Um, and if it's really something people want to get into, start with a sprint. Um, or shoot, start with a super sprint nowadays and have fun. Um, you know, work your way into the sport. Um, and, and if you did start with a 70.3, please don't think you can automatically jump to a full 140.6 because I'm sure as you can attest, uh, a full is more than half of a, or double a half. It's like four times the half. And, and that's in all respects, um, except for the distance. Everything else is, is a gazillion times more work. And, and my other piece of advice would be to get involved in a local tri-club or join a team. Um, I, I will tell you that in the past four years that I've been on the Cupcake Cartel, those have been like probably the four best years of my triathlon life. The support that I have received from not only the, the heads of the team, uh, but but all of my teammates across the world, I have made my closest friends right now. People that I literally cannot live without are all part of the cartel. And I I would not be where I am right now, which is going to Kona, without their support, their encouragement, their love. Um, you know, the sport is tough. It's mentally, mentally tough, as you know. And the more support you have from... People who are of like mind, in my opinion, it's, it's invaluable. Triathlon, while it's a very individual sport, it's a very team-oriented sport at the same time because you need your team around you. You need that support. You need the people that believe in you. You need the people that understand what you're going through and that are willing to stand up for you in whatever space that you're doing to believe in your goals as much as you believe in them and to to not constantly say, well, you used to be this way, so don't, you can't do that because you used to be this way. Well, you're not the same person anymore. And to, you know, moving through that kind of space is, yeah, it's powerful. Yeah. Well, I love that. I think that's Precisely. really great advice. Um, and I especially love the piece about the team because it is. And you yeah. can find, you can, like, that's the cool thing about triathlon is that you can create this this ability to to find a team of people. And, and whether it's, you know, join something like the Cupcake Cartel or or – Trace Pena, well, I'm Trace Pena, so that's the first one that came to my head, but you know, it doesn't have to be those. It, it, you even could just be, like you said, a local tri-group or a group of friends that you go on rides with, and a, a team can be a wide range of pieces, and I think that's yeah. why, you know, triathlon's so cool. I mean, look, um, if it weren't for a team, I wouldn't know you. I know. That's true. So it's very true. Yeah. Powerful. So, it's it's very, very powerful. powerful. You know, yeah. especially know, you, crazy. How, you know, Wait, you and I I've known you since, husbands. like, 2000, wow, 2017. Yeah, 17. that's awesome. That's one of the cool, yeah, like I said, I mean, meeting people like yourself and, you know, others that I've met along the way. It's one of the reasons why I personally love the sport. It's why I coach because I want to, you know, add that aspect to it and kind of create piece of that team atmosphere. It's why I wanted to be a professional because I want to, you know, include some, you know, be able to bring that side of things to people. And yeah, triathlon's a powerful sport if you allow it to it be. Is. It's very, well, and especially for us women, you know, there's not enough women in the sport. I'll get on a soapbox for a minute. I mean, I go, you know, we go race an Ironman. It's what, if we're lucky, 85% men, 15% women. I mean, all you see are a sea of green caps, right? Yeah. With a little smattering of pink. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want more women in the sport. I because yeah. it is so powerful and it is so. Um, it, it yes, it's demanding, but it's so worth it. Um, and there's so many women that I think could really benefit from that. Um, mentally and physically, you know, I mean, women have a tendency to say, oh, I can't do that because, you know, I'm not that strong or I'm not that tough. Bullshit. Yes, you are. You know, you just have to, you have to believe in yourself. And, and like you just said, what, what more, what, what a better way to do that than to get involved in something that challenges you and to be surrounded by other women who are doing the same thing. To me, there's nothing more powerful. I agree hundred percent. I mean, I, I know what triathlon did for me, and 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 while maybe triathlon isn't what you need want to get into, but something along those lines that kind of creates this space for you to find empowerment, yes, is is one of the best things for yourself because it teaches you to stand up for yourself. I've talked uh, lately; it seems to be the theme of everything I've been talking about is this concept of betting on yourself, and how unbelievably empowering it is to stand up and say. Uh uh-uh, I bet on me, I believe in me, I am going to achieve this even when everybody else is telling you that they you can't. But maybe they laugh at you or maybe they constantly are trying, subconsciously they're holding you back by saying, well, you should maybe be cautious about going after that goal because of X pieces in your life or yep. any along those lines. And when you can stand up and 100% say no... This is a goal that I believe in. This is a goal that I'm going to chase. It's amazing how then I have found that, that allows you then to actually give back to other people more because you're willing to stand up for you. You can't stand, you cannot give back to other people without standing up for yourself first. That's exactly right. And that's, that's the main reason right there that I made my quest for Kona journey public on social media. Because I wanted women to see that something like this is possible, that they are capable of doing this stuff. Every day is not perfect. I am not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but that doesn't mean I can't do it. And and yeah, that that empowerment, especially female empowerment, was exactly why I chose to make this dream public. Um, because even if I even if I didn't get it right, even if I failed, I know I helped more than one woman say to themselves, you know what, I can do this too. And like you said, it doesn't have to be triathlon, but I can do hard things. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. I think that's an amazing spot here to head off into the sunset, so to speak. Um, <laughs> awesome. All right, Paige. Well, where you mentioned that you do share this story, where can people follow you along with you? Um, well, they can follow along on um, Facebook. I have a professional Facebook account. So if, even if people aren't comfortable with being friends with me because they may not know me, they can still follow me on Facebook and also on Instagram. My Facebook name is Paige Sanderson Swenson uh, because I joined Facebook before I got married and I just kept the maiden name in there. Um, Instagram is at Paige A. Swenson. The A is my middle initial. Um, so, yeah, I, I I put all the stuff out there. Like I said, good days, bad days. Um, you know, it's all there. I do a lot of my stories so people can follow. Right now I've got the countdown going from, I think I'm on, what is today, 26 days to race day. Yeah, um, that's all right. So yeah, I, 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 I'd love it. And if anyone ever has, if, if any of your people have questions about triathlon or, or anything, you know, you mentioned, yeah, yeah, I'm a huge skier in the off season as are you. Um, that's, I like to call that my escape from reality. 
So yeah. it's not swim, bike, run. It's let's go have fun in the snow with my husband and bomb downhills. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Paige. We look forward to hearing how the race goes. I know I'll be watching. Um, sad that I won't be there, but I am excited to be watching. And thank you. yeah, thanks for, thanks for joining us and sharing your story today. We really appreciate it. Oh, of course. Thank you so much for having me. It was a blast.